Hello, and welcome to Game Boys. It's a new podcast by me and my beautiful fiance Wes, who we are going to just talk about everything that's nerdy. Sounds pretty good, don't you think? Hi. Yes, this is this is Wesley. Hi, I am Wes. Uh, you, you have a last name. <laughs> Wes Paw, as in like a dog's paw. 33 years old. I've been a game developer for the last 13 years, and... Yes, my name is Matt Osborne, and I have more or less just been a gamer. I have not had any, you know, gaming dev-like credentials like my fiancé here, but I love to consider myself just... A big old nerd when it comes to this kind of stuff, but welcome. We are your lovely hosts and just want to be able to kind of open up about some stuff that is important. We talk about current events and very much just try to inform anyone and get a little debate going on. Typically, we can kind of be very punchy and debatey off screen, so that very much is nice for a podcast debate don't you say we're interesting damn it (laughs) no yes (laughs) okay fine yes i guess a little bit about us we technically met back in 2015 technically on a very technicality oh darling don't be coy it was a crowded costume gala and you made eyes at me across the room it was very mysterious and sexy i i I was in cosplay, it wasn't a gala, it was PAX East, and I more or less just nudged my friend and went, holy crap, look at that sexy cyclops over there. You were ravishing. Oh no, he's in character. (laughs) So, yes, we had pretty much met when we inadvertently noticed that I was hitting on him, and then he hit me up a couple months later on Scruff, which is a modern fantasy. <laughs> I assume anyone listening to this knows what Scruff is, but for the uninitiated, it is Tinder for the gays before Tinder. Yes, and it is not. It is a different version of the Grinder, as all the straights know about. Oh, it's nowhere near as debaucherous as Grinder. Does this persona have a name? Is this going to keep coming up every so often? I'm workshopping it. Okay, fine. That's fair. So yeah, we've been dating for pretty much the past... God. Four, um, nine, I don't... What? Well, considering, yes, we are currently engaged, and our wedding is actually one day after our five-year anniversary of our first date. Aww. Which I went to go take you to see Ant-Man, and then we went to Red Robin afterwards. We like nerd stuff. <laughs> I promise Red Robin was a fluke. They have fantastic steak fries. Don't at me. Anyway. Anyways. So, that's just basically where we're at now. We're very much excited for the wedding. I am continuously reminded that it is up and coming and that, oh god, it is less than six months now. See, you glared (laughs) at me when you said continuously reminded, but I believe it's the passage of time itself that's reminding you. No. It's very much you. Mm, especially I'm when not I sure I buy it. Especially when I say, hey, we have seven months, and then you look at me and say, no, we have six. And then I went, one, two, three. Oh, god damn it. <laughs> okay. So, we are just very much on the cusp of, you know, tying the knot in a very magical and potentially very nerdy, well, it's going to be a very nerdy ceremony. Oh, yes. Especially when someone wants my... Beautiful officiant to, uh, what was it again? A blood ritual mentioned during? (laughs) I'll be getting into Vampire quite a bit. A game called Vampire the Masquerade gave me the idea for a blood wedding where the uh, participants stand in a river of blood and the officiant uh, pours each of them a goblet of blood, of course, and they drink from each other's goblet while they contemplate all of the innocence they will drink from and all of the enemies that they will destroy in their life of eternity together it's beautiful yeah i just wanted to share a palpu fruit at the altar and that was gonna be nerdy enough for me but this one decided you know freak out his entire future family-in-law so i'm still not on board with this i am very much trying to say hey maybe we tone that down a tiny bit 
Maybe. You're not sounding really reassuring here. We'll talk. Oh, God. So, I guess about us and this podcast that we got. Why us? Why us indeed? Well, I mean, we've always... I have always very much dragging this one down with me because I've very much wanted to do this for a very long time. But I've... We've both had very in-depth conversations about video games, movies, whether you like Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker or not. Yes, I'm not going to go down that route. (laughs) But we typically... We're going down that route in a bit. No, we are not. I swear to God. (laughs) Yeah, we've just more or less had numerous conversations that have sparked hours long of debate. And I'm just very much on the sense that it'd be nice to share it and entertain people. We're entertaining. You keep saying this. (laughs) It's true. It it is. Saying it makes it more true. Next question is, where do we want to go with this podcast? And kind of want to take it where our audience feels like it should go. So... If you're listening to this, which I sure hope you are, because otherwise you are very clairvoyant, and this is really weird right now. So if you are listening to this, leave a comment or reach out to us and see if there's anything that we should you want us to talk about, or if there's any events that we might have missed and talked about. Kind of the structure of this podcast right now is we're going to talk about just current things that we're exploring. We tend to sometimes be a little bit back on some of the things that are currently out, so... We tend to pick up some things that are a couple years old or a couple months old. Um, We're adults. We have jobs. Sometimes it takes us a few years to get to things. But hopefully you'll have forgotten about them and it'll be interesting to talk about them once again. That is totally fair. There's been quite a lot, especially when, you know, he dates someone that hasn't seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then spends an entire summer watching it and now I'm a Buffy-obsessed fan. I believe those are called buff heads. Someone didn't tell me. Mr. I had a Wikipedia page and little de- hints of details about everything that was going on during the production. Well, that's okay. Just make sure that you announce yourself to people as a buffhead. Fine. Fine. Okay. This is fine. So yeah, typically we're going to try and just cover things that we come across. A lot of current events. We actually have a little bit of a segment at the end where we're going to talk about some of the things that have come up recently. Some of them are controversial, so that'll be fun to... Ooh, provocative. No. And I promise we won't go to Rise of Skywalker. We're going there. We're not going to go there. I've made so many friends mad. (laughs) So, as an opening segment, I figured it's 2020. We're back in the roaring 20s already. Mm -hmm. We figured that we'd talk about some of the more influential events, concepts, games, anything that have influenced the decade or influenced us specifically. And, you know... We thought it'd be nice to share, and it'd be a nice icebreaker. Yeah, what better way to get to know us than to get to know us through our lives over the last decade, now as we're all in the mode of reflecting back on how things have changed and how we've changed. So, on that note, why don't you, Wes, talk to us about some of the things that made you influenced in the past decade? So, uh, as I mentioned, I am a game developer. I have been one for about 13 years. So, 10 years ago, I was still very early in my career. Fresh out of college, brimming with ideas, the whole, I'm gonna revolutionize the industry and leave my mark on things, and what better place to do that than indie games? I took a keen interest to those right away. I pulled up a list earlier of some of my favorites. This was, you know, 2009-ish era, so Minecraft was huge but Minecraft was far too mainstream for my tastes. I was into things like Passage, Yearwalk, Papers, Please, FTL. Okay, I liked Minecraft a bit. Dear Esther, the game where you walk from one end of the island to the other, that was good times. I absolutely loved that smaller studios were able to release smaller games and explore interesting ideas that interaction allowed that no other medium had been able to do to that point. That was just fascinating to me, and I really wanted to get in on that. And I did for a bit, and it failed miserably, but don't worry about that. I'm happy with what I could accomplish, and I'm overjoyed to see that some of that creative spirit still persists unspoiled. It's mostly buried in garbage on itch.io, but the important thing is that it is out there. Well, I mean, for me, it was 
during that entire era, I was very much of the sense that, oh, that indie trash. Yeah. Because I was a young, naive. What are these? Games. Games aren't art. Games are fun. This art notion is just ridiculous and highbrow and stupid. Oh, trust me. I believed that they were art back in the day. I just was so gung-ho for AAA. Give me all that action. Hey, you know it isn't an indie game. Oh, Jesus. You're doing this segue, aren't you? All right. Well, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. For anyone that knows me, I am a huge, very huge, as I stare at the giant poster, Mass Effect fan. It's hanging over our bed. Yep, that was my decision. I have been a fan since the day it came out, and still am very much a fan, even though Andromeda came out. And yeah, it was a bad Mass Effect game, but it was a good game. Was it, though? I think it was a good game. You're Do t- you, though? Well, let's consider what comes later, and we won't get to that just yet. <laughs> oh, no. We, we, don't, want, them. we <sighs> don't want to go there yet. But, no, Mass Effect was very much the space opera that I very much needed in my life. And just the storytelling and the RPG-ness aspect of it, and being able to kind of make your own story kind of interest of it was just really intriguing to me and then during my formative years when i still thought i was straight and loved miranda's boobs and thought they were beautiful i knew deep down that there was still that raging homosexual deep inside me so when mass Effect 3 came out it was quite the revolutionary moment for me when i went man this is a fucking universe that doesn't care that i like guys and that was really intriguing to me so That was when I started to have formative ideas of, hey, maybe I like dudes. That's awesome. Yeah, so more or less just being able to see the relationship between Commander Shepard and Hayden in the third game very much was a imprinting moment on my adolescence. Also, it was nice to actually meet the real-life Hayden at PAX two years before we met. By that you mean the voice actor. No, the, the, face, the model, face model, Luciano Costa. I, I didn't get a chance to meet the voice actor, unfortunately, but um, I uh, have met the voice actor for Thane and Ashley, and the face model for Samara. But it goes a lot farther than that, if I recall correctly, even to the, the writers acknowledge you in the universe. Yes, there was the very much moment where the year before we even met, I was at a panel with one of my close friends. We saw Kathleen Brotziart, and she was talking about how she was writing the uh, the same-sex storyline for Caden and Shepard, and I kind of, in my really, oh, this was my first cosplay ever, and it was a bad Commander Shepard. <laughs> but... I came up to her and more or less said, thank you, you actually gave me courage to come out to my family and friends. So yeah, it was amazing to actually be able to meet someone like that. And she's still with the company and I'm happy to follow her no matter how bad things get. Yeah, if you're out there, we hope you're okay. (laughs) You will make it through this because you are brilliant. But yes, there was that one N7 Day video that I very much cried at my desk and texted you and said, Oh my god, she's talking about me. <laughs> yes, that was absolutely beautiful. Especially when you sit back and said, You know, in her head, you are Commander Shepard. You are gay Commander Shepard, specifically. Yes. I don't I don't like to take up mantles or you, anything. You don't like to take it? Why? Anyways. Anyways, yes. From there, Mass Effect has just been really close to my heart. I do not care for the controversies that have uh, come of the extended cut because, yeah, the extended cut's great, and yeah, that's where I stand. It's also a massive question about authorial intent and how much creators should appease their audiences, which honestly ties into a movie we saw recently about how much writers should respond to fan criticism. What was that movie? I swear to God, if you turn this into a Rise of Skywalker cast i will Hmm. the idea was we were going to start later in january so we didn't have to talk about this i was making a joke at the beginning of this podcast i'll let it go for now 
Oh my god. So, unfortunately, not all of the things that have influenced us over the last ten years can be positives. No, and as we've already hinted at, Bioware is not the most innocent either, especially after this past year with the introduction of Anthem. Yeah, yeah. Anthem, yet another (sighs) exhausting attempt at putting another games-as-service product out there, because these are not games- They are traps. Hey, wasn't this one of the things you wanted to talk about in the past decade? Why, yes. Yes, it is. That's called a transition. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. So yes, games as a service, it's certainly not a new thing for the past decade, but right around 2009-2010 is where we started hitting a turning point. Distribution got easier, agile software processes and greater network support pushed towards releasing smaller, safer chunks of content more frequently. This got so out of hand that the compulsion to pay for everything released became untenable, and players eventually just stopped buying stuff. So the goalposts had to shift to a system where some players were allowed to spend forever, while other players just had to play forever to keep up with the ones who were spending. And that's where Games as a Service has gotten us in today's biggest titles. A place where the fun is kept locked away until you fulfill the marketing model, either grossly overspending on content, or by being a warm body in the lobby queue to keep the game socially relevant for the overspenders. Thanks, I thoroughly hate it. Uh, I mean, I get you. I completely understand. Even though currently one of the games I'm playing and obsessed with is Destiny 2, which is very much one of those game types. Yeah, I respect Destiny 2 for its world building, kind of. It's not my jam exactly, but I like the hole you can dive down into with the Wikipedia-style lore building of just on and on, where anything that is explained to you requires an explanation of another thing. Trust me, I I tried. (laughs) Am I starting to sound like I hate this game? I'm so sorry. Yeah, I I know you hate this game. (laughs) Uh, But then they release a weapon called the Werewolf something or other, and I have to play it. (laughs) Yes, uh... The Werewolf Bray Tech Assault Rifle for the haunting event that happened recently. And I said, hey, it has the word werewolf in it. By the way, if you didn't know, Wes is kind of a huge fan of werewolves. So let's put that precedent out there. So anything that's a werewolf or werewolf-esque, you know, just send his way. (laughs) Anyways, back to games as a service. Uh, Yes. (laughs) It's easy to pin this problem on 2009, 2010 specifically, because that's when mobile games were hitting their stride and a lot of people blame things like microtransactions and loot boxes and that kind of things as starting in mobile i don't really think that's the case personally i think that network infrastructures grew to a point where it was possible to do this kind of thing right around the same time that smartphones and smart devices became a bigger thing and the two just happened to coalesce but regardless this was a thing that was going to happen anyways. We've seen similar business practices all the way back to the arcade days, but as far as getting it in people's homes and being able to push out regular updates and all of that stuff that facilitates DLC and microtransactions, that started right around, you know, 2009, 2010, and unfortunately has just gotten worse and is partly to blame, I think, on another game that wasn't a mobile game. I think it was called Mass Effect 3? Oh my god, you're going to talk about the whole controversy about the DLC and the, the pre-order DLCs bonuses? Were fine. I mean, yes, it did have DLC and it did have pre-order bonuses, so you had to buy the game six times from GameStop and Target and Amazon and everywhere else to be able to get everything you wanted. Don't... I don't know if that was the case with Mass Effect 3. Well, don't forget about all the extra content outside there. The comics, the novels, everything. Especially the novel that, you know, they decided to hire a person that did Star Wars novels. And he decided to say, you know, I'm going to snap a Krogan's neck. How the hell are you going to do that? Yeah, the logistics don't really work out there. But, oh, honey, you were so young when The Matrix came out. And the sequels where you had to buy the comics and watch the Animatrix and play Enter the Matrix... You continue to talk about this dark period of time where you just... I just imagine you in the very long... Oh, I cosplayed. Oh, Jesus Christ. I saw The Matrix Reloaded several times over the course of the first week, each time in a different Matrix cosplay. Oh my god, it sounds as worse as me going to... God, I remember going to, like, the 
Maze Runner Scorch Trial midnight premieres and stuff like that. And then I'm just like, what am I doing here? As I look over to my one friend that literally only came with me because he's like, yeah, you go to very unique midnight premieres, but I have nothing better to do on a Thursday night, so why don't I go with you? Also, this was at a time for our young viewers that understand the concept of movie premieres happen at 7 o'clock. No, maybe about 5 or 6 years ago, they decided to release movies at midnight. I believe that the concept was they were releasing it a tiny bit sooner because of time zone differences, just so you can get that extra box office first weekend revenue. You know, movies actually came out at midnight. <laughs> so anyways, back to how Mass Effect 3 destroyed games. Oh my god. No, it did not destroy games, Wesley. If anything, it made me realize that, hey, maybe we could go back and change the original ending that kind of just left you and sat back and went, hey, is this an Adam and Eve allegory or something? I don't quite understand what's going on here. Uh, anyways, what the hell happened to all my friends? Are they dead now? Or All of your friends are dead, especially Baby Morton. Oh my god, you're not going there. I went there. I mean, we have Baby Yoda now, so... We do, and Baby Yoda is obviously infinitely better than Baby Groot and Baby Morden and all of the other baby versions of characters you think are cute. But think about how cute a little baby Krogan is that's called Baby Morden. Oh, I love it in theory. Mostly just because I was sad for Morden dying. Yeah, don't remind me, Wesley. I had to sit there for probably a half hour after that scene just bawling my eyes out. And I think that was right before the scene where... Oh man, do I even go into spoiler territory? Well, we we just talked about it. Okay, yes. I'm sorry, we actually have a friend that has not played the series yet. Yes, but this is a role-playing game and you can choose whether or not this happens. Well, that's fair. There are there are ways to save him. Yes. I would never do that, but there are ways to save him. <laughs> and you can mod Aerith back into the game, too. It's the future. It's 2019, current year argument. Is Aerith the chick from Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> he is just giving me the biggest look right now. Oh my god, <laughs> he actually broke me with that. <laughs> oh my god. I... I know what Final Fantasy VII is. Trust me, I have had enough edgy friends when I was growing up that I knew who the hell Cloud Strife was. Considering earlier today you told me that Halo 2 was the genesis of first-person shooter (laughs) multiplayer games. No, I will correct that right now. I said it completely revolutionized the mainstreamness of multiplayer first-person shooters. And then I strangled you. And, but you were saying on Facebook how Bungie has revolutionized first-person shooters, which I definitely did not say. I, ooh, uh. I don't remember this. What I will say about Bungie and Halo is that it certainly changed them. Fine. Where were we? You were talking about games as a service. I'm not sure if you had anything more to talk about it. Other than that, it... It's terrible. It's kind of here, and I feel like it's kind of just like, if it's a game that you like, like Destiny for me, you can stick with it, and it's something that you can step away from, and you can come back, and you might get anxiety over the fact that you're missing out on a shit ton of stuff, and oh god, why aren't I playing right now, shit. But it's also kind of just where the world is at, unfortunately. I do miss the days of just picking up a game, and it's complete, but now we have day one patches. Hell, we have day one patches in the movies now. Thanks, cats. Oh boy. Yes, there are certainly some implementations of games as a service that are better than others. Unfortunately, we're seeing mostly worse ones the more years pass. And it's interesting that you see something like WoW that was very early in this, at least with the modern incarnation of games as a service. Because it's kind of this time capsule where there's only so much that they can change about their business model as we see it in the mechanics. Things like monthly subscriptions. That's not something that you see in games as a service models much anymore, but it pretty much has to be there just because it's always been there. But we think we see it more as like a battle pass system that's come out recently. Battle passes, I'm generally okay with. They don't tend to screw people over. They do kind of have that built-in, you need to grind and you need to build server populations for X amount of hours before we'll let you say that you can have fun. They're certainly better than the alternative of loot boxes and it's really sad that we're in a state where we have to just say well this is the lesser evil at least as Geralt of Rivia would say I I think it's pronounced Geralt it's Geralt of Rivia the original creator pronounced it Geralt yeah well the original creator also had an interview recently with the Netflix people and he said Geralt 
Also, the author really is just fucking crazy because I'm going to sell this to CD Projekt Red and you guys are going to make any fucking money because this didn't sell well. Then they started making the Witcher games and they were fantastic. There's a Hollywood truism that if a producer comes up to you and offers you a rights share, profit share model for whatever you're writing, or they offer you a sandwich, you take the sandwich because 999 times out of a thousand, that's the one that's going to pay off. Anyways, Andrei Savkowski is a little crazy because then he started just shit-talking CD Projekt Red because we'll get the CD Projekt Red later, actually. I was about to say how I actually kind of like them. I forgot. They're kind of on my shit list right now. Anyways. Anyways. I'm, man, I guess we have to talk about some of my stuff that's been influential. Then. Yeah, I've, I've dragged this podcast down into negative territories for quite a while now. Let's turn it back over to something positive. So let's talk about tabletops. Because, man, they have blown up. I have been in a d group for god it ought to be close to like six years and granted the dnd group that it is the dnd group i invited you into yeah. it's not the same people but man i remember the first session my one friend like was a bard and he's a very funny guy but he just fucking pulls out a guitar and just starts singing this limbrick and i'm just like oh my god an actual guitar an actual guitar yes not actual in mind's eye but yeah tabletop started making me fall in love after that point and i thought it was originally just like a thing to do with my friends and then i just found out that holy shit i can live an entirely different life in this universe and then they started less becoming copies of people that i was retrofitting into this universe and creating characters that actually are things i would love to explore I won't talk about those characters because maybe some of those characters are some characters in campaigns that I'm with my fiance with and they have secrets and I'm not telling you shit. Ooh, intrigue. It is very intrigue. But, I mean, I guess we can thank the tabletop renaissance to maybe something that we both very much appreciate a lot. Maybe it's a little thing called Critical Role. Oh, perhaps, perhaps. I have heard of that podcast or what have you. Is it a podcast? It's more of a streaming. It's a way of life. It is a... Oh my god. When you have to spend four hours a week listening to a D&D session, it does become a way of life. I actually originally started listening to The Adventure Zone off of a recommendation, and then people were... My same group was telling me, like, hey, you should listen to this Critical Role thing, and I... At the time, I didn't have any options to download onto my phone the actual episodes because I didn't want to sit at a computer desk for uh, four hours and listening to a bunch of voice actors talk to each other about a session. But it was only until I moved out to Denver that I started getting, at the time it was called YouTube Red, but then they realized it sounded way too close to a specific porn site and they called it YouTube Premium. Yeah, that was a weird time. (laughs) Uh, We all kind of just... Looked at that title and went, yeah, that looks that looks like Red Tube to me. <laughs> See, next somebody's going to come out with a sex doll called The Nest, and we'll be in the same situation. Are you talking about the home devices that we have just yes. sitting in the room? Yes. All of which have been turned off, so I don't say the words. I'm not going to say it, actually, for our listeners, because God knows if I say those words, and they have home devices in their home. I have the power. I can, I can control if they have like if they're playing this in their home, I can I could do things. I, I am a magical wizard right now. Potentially. I'm not gonna do that. No. I will never do that because I know how annoying it is when I'm watching a video and then someone says those words. But yes, I got a YouTube premium subscription and started downloading the episodes because I was doing cardio and cardio is the goddamn worst and I wanna die. So I said, you know, I'll listen to these things and Maybe on my commute, I'll eventually catch up. And before I knew it, I think it was like a year later, I was listening to the final episode of Campaign 1 and sobbing into my uh, steering wheel as I was... I think I called you and went, oh my god, I can't stop crying. And this is at the time where I was back at home on a trip and I was driving to the airport listening to the final episode. No context. I just get a text, I'm crying right now. Okay. Oh man, then that's right. You haven't even finished campaign one yet, so you... No, I'm about halfway through. I started with campaign two. Which, we are at least caught up, right? You watched last week's? Sure. Okay. But no, I genuinely feel, like, the emotion from... And it's probably because of the fact they're all voice actors. 
Oh, that certainly helps, for sure. But god, they are some genuinely amazing people. Especially when you have five seconds to spend with them in a photo shoot when we decided to cosplay as the characters last summer and get a photo shoot with them. Yeah, that was probably like maybe a total of 15 seconds, but it went by like snap of a finger. And I was just like trying to take in everything that I immediately bought a ticket the next day to get a picture with uh, Marisha Ray because I was dressed up as Beauregard campaign two character so yeah tabletop has kind of just been amazing new renaissance that we're kind of living in and in this obviously more than just D, which you and i are both in a vampire the masquerade campaign and oh boy oh boy um yeah that's uh for people that aren't familiar with the world of darkness it is very much just that it is a world of darkness and on top of that we are playing characters that are based off ourselves and that gets a little messy when we try and relate to in-game matt and in-game wes (laughs) so i don't know how you feel i think i'm looking at some notes though and i think that one of the things that inspired you this last generation might be that world of darkness yes the world of darkness it's a world filled with darkness i swear to god you sound one like one man oh, will rise to the darkness i'm gonna wait that's it that's it except for the darkness okay are you done now yeah i'm done all right that was the teaser trailer for kingdom hearts 4 uh, you can get the copy back 2025 now i believe that will be the next game it'll come out oh is this one coming out in less than 14 years yeah i mean now they have to like keep steamrolling this stuff out uh, of course oh yeah remind comes out like weeks no days days yeah oh my <laughs> anyways <laughs> anyways world of darkness darkness Definitely defined uh, some of the past decade of my life. I discovered it when its third editions were coming out, which I think most people hated. I don't know. I've got one friend at work that absolutely loves Requiem. But it's a modern supernatural setting, not a specific game by itself, but a series of games that let you play as vampires, werewolves, mages, hunters of these creatures, and also gets into a lot more esoteric lore for things like mummies, demons, fae. I probably couldn't even tell all of them that are available. One that's called Beast, which is just very abstract. But it's a modern setting. It's one of the only tabletop settings that I know that takes place in what is more or less our world, which I think is what mostly drew me into it in the first place, because I just don't very easily connect with high fantasy or sci-fi. I just like imagining the world around me and how it might be just a little bit different in ways that are interesting. This becomes difficult when I try to introduce new sci-fi things to him. Very much so. Especially fantasy. The Witcher was really rough. (laughs) Oh yes. Uh, D&D prepared me pretty well for The Witcher, and it was a lot of groundwork getting into D&D, I'll be honest. Well, it was a lot of, I think it was the fact that I said, hey, we're going home for Thanksgiving, and this was also a ploy for him to propose to me at a concert, <laughs> but he decided to propose to me on Thanksgiving of last year. Actually, no, two years ago, technically, because now it's 2020. It's current year. It is current year 2020, so two years ago, <laughs> even though it would have been like a year and a couple months my original D&D group that I mentioned were having sessions, and I said, well, you can sit in if you want, but it'd be really cool if you joined. And he decided to play basically what I pertain to as the nun with a gun, because we were watching Daredevil season Daredevil three. season three. And oh, man. There is just this grizzled, sassy, amazing nun figure in that season of that show, and it completely inspired me to make a D&D character, because I can't just play, oh, he's a half-elf, and he has pointy ears, and that's interesting. Apologies to my friends that play half-elves. It just isn't for me. Yeah, we just lost half our viewers. Anyways. But yes, back to World of Darkness. I I fell in love with it when 3rd edition started coming out around 2003, 2004. It was my first year of college. I didn't actually get a chance to play it for more than a one-shot here and there until my life fell apart in 2013. And I lost... All of my money, I lost my job, I lost uh, my romantic partner at the time, and was in a very world of darkness of my own. Sorry, that was bad. But anyways, uh, this game was in the back of my head for about almost 10 years at this point, and I finally decided, you know what, I'm just gonna run a game. And I found a couple of friends that had either played one version of it or another, or had heard of it, or just, I found one of them on Grindr and said, hey, do you want to play this game? And we got together, and I story told, DM'd. World of Darkness 
they call them storytellers instead of DM. It's very hoity-toity. But I decided to be a storyteller for Mage the Awakening, which was a campaign that I ran for about a year. And that was one of the driving forces for turning around one of the darkest periods of my life into an extremely positive one, where I got to provide for people I cared about, and they appreciated what I provided them. You know, I cooked meals for them every week and, you know, helped tell the story and got invested in their characters and they got invested in my world and it was just beautiful and it made me so happy that it helped pull me out of very bad times. So yeah, World of Darkness is extremely personal to me. It speaks to my interests as a game designer, even though I've never designed a commercially released game, but it's very light on mechanics and heavy on storytelling and RP and all of that fun stuff. As Matt began to set up our current campaign, we are playing V5, which is Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition, though it's kind of 3rd edition because 3rd edition was a different vampire game called Requiem. It's confusing as hell, don't worry. But yes, we are currently playing Vampire 5th edition and it is honestly torture. (laughs) It is emotional torture and it is heartfelt heartache and joyous pain and wonderful and awful to play and uh, because our storyteller is just doing such an amazing job keeping us on the edge of our seats we were invited to a party at our next session and that's about all we know is it's a party and in our discord chat for this group we are just freaking out wondering is the party going to turn into a huge fight are our friends going to get killed at this party is the party going to burst into flames for no reason we have no idea but we're preparing for absolutely every possibility because we are terrified and only a great storyteller can do that and i personally think world of darkness lends itself a lot more to that kind of storytelling just because it's so light on the mechanics unlike something like D&D which is great for other reasons. D&D has so far never traumatized me. I know that plenty of people out there have had very personal stories you know in fact Matt you earlier said that Critical Role has had you crying on multiple occasions. I I mean I just really relate to some of the characters. I I I love Marisha Ray and Keyleth in campaign 1 was just this innocent girl that was kind of just trying to understand the world and then that was kind of how I was in a certain point in my life and now Beauregard is her new character and honestly it's something that of a kind of character that I would wouldn't mind having as a personality. Like, she's very strong-willed and just doesn't take it from anyone, and she just trudges forward and just makes what is meant to be hers, hers. So it's just kind of, more or less, that connection. I have had a lot of, recently, a lot of connections with D&D campaigns, and they have just always, more or less, just been a lot better since I've been taking it so much seriously. So much more seriously, I should say. But yeah, I mean... Oh, wow. We're on me now, aren't we? Again. I've got one more thing to say about World of Darkness, which is it did have an MMO in production for a couple of years by CCP Games until that was shuttered. And until then, a developer making a World of Darkness video game was almost a death sentence because Vampire the Masquerade Redemption was awful. No lies. Some redeeming qualities, but just awful overall, and the studio shuttered immediately after the game released. Then Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines came out. This was on PC in 2003-2002. It decided that it would be a brilliant strategy to release the same day as Half-Life 2, because both games shared the same engine, and therefore they would be able to promote each other on that somehow. Anyways, it was a financial disaster, and the studio shuttered shortly thereafter. Then with the CCP Games MMO, this is the same people that made EVE Online, which those guys making a vampire MMO would be amazing. Unfortunately, the game never saw the light of day, and that branch of CCP Games was shut down within months. So until that point, it seemed like it was just absolute bad omens to even touch this series in digital games. However, Paradox Interactive has resurrected the series, and they are cranking out digital game after digital game in this universe, and so far the one that they've released is pretty good. It's a visual novel, but 
tells a decent story, has its problems, but we've got Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood releasing this year, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 releasing this year, which should be amazing. I am so hyped for that. We've got another one that we don't really know many details about, apart from it being a vampire setting. And finally, Werewolf 5th Edition, the tabletop game releasing next year. So I'm going to be talking about World of Darkness quite a lot, because all of this looks amazing and I'm super excited for it. End advertisement for World of Darkness. Anyways, I'll take us back into the more modern mainstream. One of the things that I felt was a huge thing in this past decade was what I would like to term crossover culture, trademark. We see it in big titles like Avengers. We've seen it in what we just saw recently, what we didn't see, with DC's Crisis on Infinite Earths, where, I mean, uh, I'm not going to spoil this, but there was very big cameos in this entire event, and the crossover event in general for anything has more or less become a commodity in movies and media. I mean, hell, I think this has kind of even started back as soon as Kingdom Hearts came out. It was kind of like where it first started coming up, I would say. But now we have just this entire universe of heroes and just all crossing over and always being in there. Unfortunately, this is also a double-edged sword because of things like the Crisis on Infinite Earths event on the CW, where, you know, seasons are 20-some episodes long, and you have to watch all those seasons. Like we did last two months ago now, we watched last year's CW rotation, and man, that was two months worth of watching CW. And yeah, Legends of Tomorrow is a goddamn treasure amongst all these shows, but I was a big fan of Arrow until like they started just completely cannibalizing that show. Oh man, this makes the recent crossover that much more upsetting. Why is that? Because Arrow had to basically neuter itself because of the big screen movies, and now the big (laughs) screen movies are tying into the TV shows. Oh god, yeah. I feel like Arrow killed itself as soon as they started saying, we're going to release a Suicide Squad movie, and you guys have the Suicide Squad on your TV show. I think we're going to have to kill off all the major characters, and we're going to take that back. That Harley Quinn cameo that we saw, yeah, we can't we can't do that. Margot Robbie's going to be Harley Quinn. And then from that point on, just Arrow started going downhill. It was a travesty because that show had some really good characters and unfortunately I feel like DC kind of destroyed that show. But I mean, if DC can have a comeback story like Legends of Tomorrow season 1 and then going on from that to the goddamn lesbian mess- space cowboy time yeah. traveler. Oh my god, it is just crazy how amazing that show is and that itself is just a crossover show. Like I said, like it is a little bit of a double-edged sword because you have to watch all these things and understand all the cameos and everything. We're kind of going to get that a little bit more in-depth with uh, the MCU now that Disney Plus is a thing. Yeah, everything that Disney is touching seems to be doing this. Now that we have The Mandalorian, with Rebels, with Clone Wars is still crossing over into things. They've always been crossing over into things. It's I... true, but it, it continues on into The Rise of Skywalker. Oh my god! baby i really i really don't want to piss off our audience we're gonna literally have an entire an entire rise of skywalker podcast after this whole thing and i don't no no we're not doing this rise of skywalker was entertaining and that's all you're getting from me anyways back to crossover culture we've also seen it kind of tank ideas like the dooku the what the the Dark Universe Cinematic Universe. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. No. When Universal said, we have some amazing properties like Aaron Eckhart's I, Frankenstein, and Luke Evans, and Dracula Untold, which I, I don't think it's actually... We, we aren't even sure which what that movie is called. We think it's Dracula Untold. We were talking about it earlier. I don't know. But yes, they tried to completely boot up this entire universe, and it tanked when Tom Cruise decided to be star of the mummy. So yeah, crossover culture is fantastic to a point. Getting better at it, though. We're learning from our mistakes. Yes. Really? I think it's just Star Wars that has managed to do it right after Marvel. I don't think... Sure, Legends of Tomorrow is great. CW... TV superheroes are great. Yes. They manage it well, although the crossovers are pretty in this little microcosm on their own. 
that doesn't really interact with the larger stories for these characters. And I think that's just so that you can market that to a huge audience. And that's fine. That's all it needs to be. I, I mean, yes. It's great that you can see all these characters. I am just very OCD with the fact that I need to make sure I've seen all of Black Lightning before I watch this goddamn crossover. And I am so tired. I am too. And unfortunately, because you decide to remind me every time, guess what? They just made Stargirl the TV show, and they're making the Superman TV show, and there's a potential Black Canary spin-off TV show. Oh, man, can I wait to tell you how many TV shows replaced Arrow after this year? Oh, you are getting real depressed right now, aren't you? Let me die. Just let me die. <laughs> well, like this last decade, we'll let this segment die then. Yay! So, I guess we could just move on to some of the new things of this decade. Since we're talking about superheroes, you want to talk about that old Morbius trailer that came out recently? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not entirely pessimistic about Morbius. He's an interesting Spider-Man villain, I suppose. He was you know, black and purple instead of green and purple, so that's interesting. Jared Leto, who looks fine for basically playing Doctor Strange, but a vampire this time. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Jared Leto, to be honest. I mean, I am a 30 Seconds of Mars fan, so I very much like him as a singer. I am a Requiem for a Dream one-time watch fan and never again, and he was great in that. So that's also a contesting point between us because I haven't seen that movie and yeah. You should I, watch it once and then never again. But you have already said you're not going to watch it and we just, we watch everything together. Yes, so you watch it in the next room and I will press my ear to the door and listen to your sobs and that will be my entertainment. I mean, he, he was, he was great in Suicide Squad. Oh God. Yeah. Did you just remember that or? I did. Oh man. Yeah. Remember when he Hurry got up next to you and he started talking like a cat and he was like all growling and... No, no I don't. Please don't <laughs> remind me. Uh, I remember walking out of that movie theater and saying, Ah, Jared Leto. Hmm. He was Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give him a chance in Morbius, a uh, fair chance. I'm very okay with this. I watched the Morbius trailer and finished watching the Morbius trailer saying the same thing that I did when I saw the Venom trailer. This looks fine. I guess. I was way more hyped to see Venom in something, finally, not played by Topher Grace. You know, an actual honest-to-God Venom that had insecurities and followed something of an arc similar to what I understood his arc to be from the comics and the animated series. And the, the Venom movie did that, and I was happy with that. It wasn't great. Were you really intrigued by Tom Hardy? having the inner conflict of, should I eat that lobster in front of everyone? That was amazing. Honestly, like, it did show the despair of this character, and maybe you should have insecurities. That's, Just saying. That's despair. I still think the first half hour of that movie did not need to exist. Not at all. I, I, I think it was just there to say, so the symbiote crashed on the planet, and also there's this, this reporter at the Daily Bugle that got fired... Was it the Daily Bugle? It was the Daily Bugle. Oh my, that's yeah. interesting. But it does seem like from the Morbius trailer, they're setting it up to have another good half hour of mostly pointless exposition. And I'm kind of worried about that, because we haven't seen a villain. We don't really understand the conflict. We have seen a villain, though. We have seen a villain. We saw Matt Smith walking menacingly in a subway tunnel. Okay, yes, he's probably the villain. I thought you were referring to the other cross-culture, Venom and Morbius, but we're also crossing <gasps> Morbius and MCU. Oh, with what, Wesley? I don't know. Is it, is it, is it Michael Keaton? I think Keaton? it was Batman? It was, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, Michael Keaton is in this movie, and... There's a Birdman? It was the Vulture, goddammit. Yes, it was in such a weird cameo at the end of the trailer that I felt like was supposed to just give you a sense of, this is connected. You should be interested in this. And honestly, it worked. It did. I mean, honestly, seeing like the graffiti of Spider-Man in the background and then having the word murderer spray painted across it, that was enough of a teaser to say, hey, this is connected. I did not need to see Michael Keaton in the end of the trailer. I honestly would have rather that be like a post credit scene or something. 
Oh god, you just reminded me about we already have a dangling post credit scene from Venom. We do. No. And it's so bad. No. Cause are you ready? Cause there'll be carnage. Oh no. Not carnage. Not carnage in this clown wig. It was so I literally looked at you and went, What am I watching? And I had no words. I didn't either. It was it was bad. It was really bad. I mean, I I like Woody Harrelson in some Zombie movies. Land? Zombie Land's great. I I honestly liked him in even the Hunger Game movies because his character was just a washed up guy that he really fit the bill for. Everything else is kind of like way too slapstick humory, and that kind of always stuck out as you could do better than this. Yeah, it's weird. I know that he had an early career. I just somehow completely missed it. I honestly did too, because now I can't even remember anything before Hunger Games. Right? And he was active for decades before that. And yeah. I, I could not name a single movie that it was in. I'm not sure. So yeah. Morbius, it looks fine. I'm not offended by it. I am mostly worried about that first half hour long of, oh man, that Morbius was really like hit on and beat up as a kid because of his disability. Yeah, it's one thing that I think has been very nice in the MCU is nobody cares about secret identities. Nobody cares about origin stories anymore. They just get to the interesting conflicts. Which is very nice. It's a much different change of pace, and it, you just get into the action. I mean, they always leave up those doors in case you want to explore them down the line in like a Black Widow movie or something like that. Sure. So, yeah, I'm excited to just see how I'm more excited to see how this is going to connect in a post Sony dash Disney struggle over the rights. And I am terrified for that at this point, but we will just have to wait and see how it plays out. Absolutely. Other news this week, we found out that cyberpunk was delayed. And this is where I start talking shit about CD Projekt Red, which is something I never thought I'd really say recently, but we have to talk about it. Ooh, that's a loaded statement because I don't think you mean that just for the delay. Oh no, because delays in video games are typically meant to make sure that you get the game finished and polished properly before it comes out, with the hope that the developers aren't being put under severe crunch. Which... CD Projekt Red came out and said that, yeah, we're going to be working extensive hours. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Delays are meant to avoid crunch. And I say this as a game developer, which... I've worked on, you know, before my current job at least, I've worked on five or six games. Two of them enjoyed comfortable schedules where I worked at 9 to 5 and I didn't have to crunch. And, you know, we had fairly comfortable, sane development process. The rest of them shipped. So unfortunately, there's sort of this built-in idea that if you want a game to ship and be good, you just have to put your head down and no matter what, give up everything else in your life to just get the game out. And especially younger developers pride themselves on making those kinds of sacrifices. It does create some amazing things, but especially as, you know, the, the generation of game developers that I came from has grown and aged, we need lives. And it's sad that we can't get them. Yeah, I mean, just even dating you and when we were long distance dating even, I know you mentioned a couple times of just like some of the projects you were working on were going, not even you, but even people on your team were saying like, oh man, they're working late again because the project's on fire. And I'm like, oh boy, am I going to have to... Am I going to have to marry into this? I can't say that you're not, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it could happen at any time, and I get that. Right now, I think we're in the clear, at least, because you're working on... Are we allowed to talk about things you're working on? No. Okay. We're not going to talk about things you're working on. So, yeah. And other news... Um... But Cyberpunk has been delayed. Oh, yes. The game will be better for it, I'm sure. The developers' lives will not. I and mean, that's this... sad. This happened with The Witcher 3. Yes. It, it was, an, and unfortunately, I'm seeing things out there like, oh, well, no one should be complaining about this because you get an anthem, and then 
people are still under crunch in that period. And just like, this is a different thing when the developer is coming forward and saying, yeah, we're going to have extended hours. It's just as bad as like when Rockstar came out and was touting like, we had people that were working 100 hour work weeks. And I was like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to, do do the developers actually believe in what they're making? And if so, they'll probably be a lot more quiet about crunch. But when a project like Anthem is just a massive disaster internally and producers can't decide what they want, won't let the designers decide anything until the last minute, it's miserable and frustrating. And yeah, you're gonna bitch about it because you should. You should always be bitching about crunch. I want to wish that we could have a world where games can get made without it, but we're so far away from that. Unfortunately, it's it's something that does get in the way of game developers unionizing is they don't want fair work hours guaranteed in a lot of times because they'll do this to themselves just to make sure that their game gets out rather than gets canned. And that's very sad, but it's it's a consequence of of making art is, you know, you take pay cuts and you work long hours and it's a labor of love. But there's a fine line when that's being exploited so that you can be forced to produce shit and when you are lovingly devoting yourself and making a sacrifice for your art and i mean especially you coming out of this background at least have a a much personal connection to this i can as a bystander can say like this crunch thing just sucks and i don't like seeing people go through it i mean this is i've in the past year i've worked through not crunch but like during the tax season, I was working 60-hour work weeks, and I was just like, yeah, this is miserable. I don't want, I don't wish this on anyone. Personally, I feel that I have paid my dues and will not work for a company that I feel like might put me through a ton of crunch. That does severely limit my options for where I can work. Right now, I'm at a great company where that's minimal at most, um, and I'm very thankful for that. But, you know, if I ever want to start up my own indie company again for example i'm gonna have to do that to myself which is unfortunate to say the least unfortunately but then there's always those triple a titles which we got some more news about those in the week we got new pokemon expansion coming out and this is coming from someone that had just started playing pokemon sword what are your thoughts on everything about that Ooh, where to begin i mean there's the whole fact that we're adding 200 pokemon which is a combination of new and old Pokemon that didn't make it into the game. So, people that are up in arms about Dexit, I completely hear you, I understand. However, I don't know if this is a bad thing. I mean, we've had Pokemon games that are, like, re-released after the initial game comes out. I'm trying to remember the specific last franchise that had... They had Black and White, and then Black and White 2. Yes. They had Sun and Moon, and then they had Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. That's what I'm getting at, is they're offering you a $30 expansion that's not a $60 game, which is a little bit offensive coming from a company that expects you to buy the same game twice. But I don't think it's that bad. I'm... I know that a lot of people are kind of pissed about the fact that, yes, a lot of the models are kind of very similar in graphic design from the original games, and some of the stuff that Game Freak is saying about why they didn't include all the actual Pokédex is kind of a bloated lie, but... Perhaps, regardless of the technical hurdles of adding Pokémon, whether they were there or not at all, or whether or not they were severe... It sounds like they could have been overcome one way or another, and I cannot speak for all Pokemon fans, because I'm not that big of one myself, but from what I understand of this fan base, almost all of them would have preferred to have all of their Pokemon available at reduced graphical quality, or at a six-month launch delay, or whatever it took to make sure that all of their favorites were represented, rather than whatever corners had to be cut to get out the game with a reduced pokedex and now getting those sold back to you yeah i totally get why people would be upset by that but i will say as kind of a born again fan that did play a lot and i mean a lot a lot when the original games came out and then kind of teetered off and then came back as pokemon go came out and playing this new kind of just story that is introduced 
I'm not noticing the lack of some of the original Pokedex people. It's just kind of unique to just be able to explore what's there. And I believe it was 400 plus Pokemon that are in there currently, which is a lot. Honestly, I haven't noticed a lot of Pokemon that haven't made it. I mean, goddamn, we're going to have Pikachu all the time and that's always going to be there because of course it's always going to be in there. But for me, I don't, I don't see anything wrong about them t rotating some of the Pokemon out every so often. And I get that. I, get, I understand if your Pokemon didn't make it into the game, and that sucks. Just my personal opinion is I have probably have some Pokemon that I really like that I didn't even notice didn't make it, and I just haven't come across it. But I'm just having a good time playing it right now. And these Pokemon expansions at least seem interesting. So... I guess we just have to wait and see what happens when they drop next. In other gaming news, we got a new Smash Fighter this week. And oh boy, it's not Dante. And it's not Sora. It's another Fire Emblem character. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, we have uh, Baylith joining the fight in Smash. And uh, I'm, I'm tired of people with swords in this game. As am I. As am I. But, but yes, it's know. another new character. I'm not going to be upset about it. I, what did we pay? $5 for this pack for six characters or something like that? I want to say I spent 20 bucks on the extra pass that came with the deluxe edition. It, oh. was, it wasn't bad. Yeah. I'm not offended. I just, I felt like there was an opportunity missed. We kind of went into this whole Smash DLC era with the announcement of fucking Joker from Persona 5. Yeah. Which... Well, no, no, no. We did have Piranha Plant first. Oh my god, it was a fucking pre-order bonus, whatever. Anyways, yes, we had Joker just introduced and dropped into our fucking lap, and I went, oh my god. Yes, that was quite a mic drop moment, and outside of Banjo-Kazooie, well, this, these are just characters that speak to me personally. Right. There were none. But Fire Emblem Hero, um, I'm not a huge, or sorry, not Fire Emblem Hero, Hero. Dragon Quest. Dragon Dragon Quest hero. I mean, I know a lot of people that are just hardcore Dragon Quest fans. And honestly, even though it, I have no connection to it whatsoever, I can appreciate the amount of love and care that went into giving each skin, be it different Dragon Quest main character. Exactly. Like, that is beautiful, even though this is just, you know, from my perspective, generic RPG character, whatever. You've sold me on it because you've shown how much love you put into it. Exactly. And I just, I felt like this was like... This was the last character in a year's worth of characters, and it just felt like a, like, eh. Yeah, just kind of farting out another Fire Emblem character. But, hey, they, they decided to also announce that you're going to get six more characters in the next year. And I am so hyped for the possibilities. We could have Shy Guy and five different color variants of Shy Guy each with their own alt skins that are slightly different pastel variations on that color of Shy Guy. How are you not excited for this? I'm sorry, wait, shit. No, no, I'm not. I'm not excited. Man, yeah. We were rumors of potentially another Left 4 Dead installment coming. Which were quashed very quickly, but it is interesting that they keep being dug back up. You know, eventually the Half-Life 3 rumors paid off, so who knows with this? Yeah, I think I think the people that were really clamoring about the Half-Life 3 rumors will slowly kind of get quiet and then realize that there's another property at Valve that hasn't been touched in, god, like a decade now? It's been forever since Left 4 Dead 2. And I think we really do need more of those kinds of games. Oh god, I love Left 4 Dead. My friends and I growing up, that was like, we were playing Rock Band, Left 4 Dead, and Halo, and that was pretty much some of the biggest highlights of, of my childhood, at least playing with my friends, wise. Yeah. But, yeah, like, it was such a unique uh, game, and it's, I feel like maybe they kind of took a step back. Well, I, I feel like they took a step back originally, because Left 4 Dead 2 kind of was just a little bit of a reskin, and they just added some more maps, but then they took such a step back that the company itself was like, we have this whole Steam thing, and let's just work on that, because that's the one that makes all the money. And I kind of respect that. Let's let's just make all of the money, 
and only release something when we really have something to say. But now we have Project Alex. Is it the Half-Life game that's coming out? I believe it's just called Half-Life Alex. Okay, but I feel like it's a little bit of a... I don't know. It feels weird to attach that to a $1,000 VR system that you have to buy. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. We have a $1,000 uh, VR system. How are we going to make people buy it? it we'll attach Half-Life sequel to it. But that feels like such a... That feels like you're putting the fan base at gunpoint. Yes. Wow. Are you saying that the corporations are the enemy all along? Could the final boss be capitalism? Oh no. We found out the the ending of Half-Life Alex. It was Gabe Newell all along. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I guess, is there anything else that you have that you want to talk about current news-wise? No, I think that's I think that's about all for me. I mean, yeah, that's all I have. I don't know. This is uh, kind of where I was thinking we'd leave off. A lot of the upcoming episodes, I kind of want to just follow the format of going over, like, what are some of the movies we've seen? Or, like, what are some of the games that we've played recently? Or some of the TV shows that we've watched recently? Because we have BoJack coming up Ooh. within the next cycle. Because, yes, we are going to probably do this as a bi-weekly thing for at least the near future. Once we get a, a nice schedule down and a feel for this we might even switch over to weekly it depends on basically how things pan out but yeah we have bojack coming out soon so that's gonna be fun not within the next cycle but we do have sonic coming out soon yes which someone decided to drop the bomb and say we should do that as a valentine's day date and i kind of hate it i kind of hate it too but i also kind of love it and i think i may actually play a recent sonic the hedgehog game just in preparation for this movie. I've not played one since Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on Sega Genesis. You know, more than a quick demo here or there of whatever the Wii games were called, Black Knight something. But yeah, it'd be interesting to actually see if there's a good one. I mean, I'm just surprised you haven't played Sonic Unleashed. Is that the one with your hero? No. Oh, the werewolf one, yes. Or the werehog one. No, the hog... <laughs> Wolf? Hog Wolf. Yeah, it would be Hog Wolf. Anyways, we are going to probably see that movie, so just look forward to talking to that someday. I wonder if the movie will have your hero in it, though. We're not talking about my hero, anyways. If it's Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey's gonna be in the movie. Because that would be nice to see Jim Carrey after, God, years of him just going into the quiet night and just not coming out. But... Doing political painting, of all things. Right! That's right! Good on him. I, I'd love to see artists branching out, and he actually does some interesting work there. Some. But yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this movie goes, especially after the disaster that is known as Cats, who decided to bravely just say, Fuck you, audience. We know you think this is very weird-looking and horny. We're just going to release it as is. No. And, and then not. And then not. And then patch it, because they can't leave it as is. Well, you can't see Judy Dench's actual human hands out, or, like, James Corbin's, like... Judy Dench's human hands. That's yeah. a video game boss character, if I've ever heard one. I mean, oh man, I've heard so many weird things about this movie, but yeah. Um, we're not going to talk about the Cats podcast we're going to do someday. So yeah, this has been our first episode of Game Boys. We're going to pretty much leave it there. And like I said, for the near future, we're going to do a bi-weekly uh, setup. And hopefully you guys found us entertaining. We're entertaining. He, yes, we are entertaining. I have to... Confidence! Confidence. Yes. So if you have any comments, like you want us to talk more about like some things that we've done in the past like video game wise do you want us to talk more about current events are there current events that we're missing that we aren't really talking about just leave a comment by and just like share subscribe send us a carrier pigeon whatever it's 20th century current year yeah so currently we're gonna be having this uh podcast available on soundcloud I would ideally like to get this on Google Play and Apple eventually and see what other options there are for uploading this. So, yeah, just if you found this, you probably heard us through our Facebook page or our Twitter page, maybe even our Instagram page that I put up. But just keep an eye down onto there and then we will update you through those channels. 
So yeah, I had a great time just chatting about how fantastic and terrible the past decade has been and how 2020 is off to a fantastic start. So yeah, to everyone that's listening, happy 2020, and we look forward to chatting with you some more. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.